You're listening to Comedy Central. April 25th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight, star of the NBC show Good Girls, Christina Hendricks is here, everybody! And as a bonus, we'll also be talking to the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricardo Rosario, everybody! But first, but first, some breaking news from the sunken place. Take a look at what's trending today on this Wednesday, and we're gonna begin with Kanye West, who says he does not care about the backlash from fans. He stands behind his support of President Trump. In fact, West tweeted a picture of himself with Make America Great Again hat, and in his post he wrote, you don't have to agree with Trump, but the mob can't make me not love him. We're both dragon energy. Just wrap your mind, let that soak in for a second. I, I don't care how long I wait, that will never soak in. Like, I don't even know what happened here. I think Kanye West just realized he's too rich to not be Republican. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> and you know that this is also gonna confuse people on Fox News, right? Because they're probably gonna be like, why don't these celebrity rap thugs stay out of politics and... <laughs> Sorry, I mean, this guy understands the American people. He understands <laughs> all of them. You know what's crazy is that Kanye is the same guy who said George Bush hates black people. That's what he said. He said George Bush doesn't care about black people but he's the same guy who loves Trump. Like, when George Bush sees this on Twitter, he's gonna be like, what the f <laughs> I know I was a bad president, but this guy's friends with Nazis! <laughs> and look, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not a fan of what's happening here, but I am glad it's happening before Kanye's new album drops, so this way Trump can make it into the video for Bound 3. It's gonna be dope. <laughs> it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it, but let's move on. A few weeks ago, Donald Trump announced his pick to run the Department of Veteran Affairs. And it's going great. There are serious allegations surfacing tonight against the president's pick to lead the Veterans Affairs Department, which provides care and services for some nine million veterans. Those allegations threatening to derail the nomination of Dr. Ronnie Jackson. Remember how Trump said he hires the best people? Uh, when does that start? <laughs> No, because it seems like everyone he hires turns out to be a disaster. And it used to be that they would get fired after a few months. And then Scaramucci was gone after 11 days. And now this guy might get fired before he even starts the job. <laughs> like at this rate, some dude is gonna open his laptop and be like, I just got fired from the White House. His friend will be like, I didn't know they offered you a job. He's like, yeah, neither did I. <laughs> oh, sweet, I just got offered a book deal, dope. <laughs> now. Now, you probably, you probably remember Ronnie Jackson. He's the White House physician who came out in January and said that Trump has the strength of a hippo and the body to match. You remember that? <laughs> right. Well, he said that Trump was incredibly healthy, which shocked everybody. Like, even God was in the front row, like, the <laughs> Well, anyway, we didn't know much about him back then, and we didn't need to. But once Trump nominated Jackson for a cabinet position, people started digging into his past like he was dating Taylor Swift. 
we've got some breaking news on that story. We started with new and potentially damaging allegations against Ronnie Jackson. The White House physician nominated to lead the Department of Veterans Affairs provided a large supply of Percocet, a prescription opioid to a White House military office staff member. A nurse on his staff said Dr. Jackson had written himself prescriptions. The word is, is that on overseas trips in particular, uh, that uh, Admiral would go down the aisle way of the airplane and say, all right, who wants to go to sleep and hand out the prescription so drugs you're talking like, about like, an, like an ambient type. Yeah, that's exactly right. He hands out uh, prescriptions like candy. In fact, in the White House, they call him the candy man. The White House physician was being fast and loose with prescription drugs, which is really dangerous. I mean, can you imagine if Ben Carson was on that plane and he took a sleeping pill? <laughs> He'd be waking up like, did we land yet? What time is it? He'd be like, sir, it's the year 2045. <laughs> now, now look, now look, to be fair, to be fair, giving sleeping pills to staff on overseas flights is apparently kind of standard practice in many administrations. Plus, I mean, what, like, what would you rather do? Get some sleep? or stay up and watch Trump lick KFC off his fingers for 14 hours. <laughs> I think we know which one you choose. But distributing drugs like he was the Stringer Bell of Air Force One is just the beginning of Ronnie Jackson's story. Sources telling CNN the White House doctor allegedly became intoxicated during multiple overseas trips on duty, including one in 2015, where sources say he banged on the hotel room door of a female employee in the middle of the night. According to this memo, at a Secret Service going away party, Jackson got drunk and wrecked a government vehicle. Okay, this is just shocking. <laughs> no, I, I can't believe that between Trump's two doctors, Ronnie Jackson is the one who might have a drinking problem. <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense. Alcohol could explain the glowing bill of health that he gave Trump a few months ago when he was like, Donald Trump is the healthiest man alive. He's six foot three, 160 pounds, and there's two of him standing in front of me. <laughs> I love them both. I love you so much, man. And so with these allegations piling up, politicians of both parties are hoping that Trump will reconsider his pick. What was being discussed last night here on CNN uh, was truly concerning about the possibility that Dr. Jackson had been drunk on duty. The allegations that have come out against Admiral Jackson are very disturbing. Probably makes sense for the president to spend a little bit more time doing research on his own nominees. It would give us serious cause for concern as to whether or not he'd be the right man for the job. Man, these lawmakers are not messing around. Although it, it is funny how they don't want Jackson running Veterans Affairs, but they don't care if he stays on as the president's physician. <laughs> it's like, this drunk maniac doesn't belong near our heroes. He belongs at the White House next to Donald Trump. <laughs> now look, this may surprise you, but uh, Trump doesn't seem to mind Ronnie Jackson's shady past. I if anything, in Trump's eyes, Dr. Ronnie is the victim. I said to Dr. Jackson, what do you need it for? So I don't want to put a man through a process like this. It's too ugly and too disgusting. And he has to listen to the abuse that he has to, I wouldn't, if I were him, actually in many ways, I'd love to be him. But the fact is I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. What? <laughs> in many ways you'd love to be him? Like, I, I don't understand what that means. Is, is Trump saying he wishes he weren't the president? Or is, he, is it just like Trump wishing that he were his own doctor? <laughs> he's just like, he's so lucky. He gets to see me naked all the time, folks. 
Do you know how nice it would be if I could see my dick? So beautiful. So beautiful. But believe it or not, the administration was still pushing Dr. Jackson's nomination forward. And Kellyanne Conway even brought up a surprise character witness. The White House defiant and defending Ronnie Jackson's nomination to lead the VA, pointing to praise from former President Obama and pushing back on accusations against Jackson. I hope you're aware of the great referral for Ronnie Jackson. Continue to groom and promote this highly capable officer, a, quote, exceptional physician and leader. Ronnie has been a dedicated and valued member of my team. This came from President Barack Obama, 2014-2016. Oh, now you want us to trust Obama? No, Kellyanne, no. Too late. That Kenyan invented ISIS. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Okay, fine, fine. Let's play Kellyanne's game. Yes, it's true. Obama praised Ronnie Jackson and suggested that he be promoted. But he never said Jackson should be promoted to run the VA. That's an enormous government bureaucracy with 360,000 employees. You can't take that one recommendation and move it to something else. That's like looking great in a bathrobe and someone makes you the new pope. That's not how it works. (laughs) Because don't forget, don't forget, even if he didn't drink, even if he didn't drive drunk, and even if he didn't overprescribe drugs, Ronnie Jackson would still be far from qualified to run the VA. And in a way, all those senators who oppose him are lucky that these drug and alcohol allegations are coming up. Because if there's one thing we know, it's that on its own, being completely unqualified for a position doesn't keep you out of Donald Trump's cabinet. If anything, it gets you in. As far as experience is concerned, the Veterans Administration, which is approximately 13 million people, is so big, you could run the biggest hospital system in the world, and it's small time compared to the Veterans Administration. So nobody has the experience. (laughs) Donald Trump is like logic kryptonite. No one has this exact experience. So in his mind, it doesn't matter if we just hired a seasoned professional or a toaster oven. (laughs) And look, I, I get that no one has run an organization as big as the VA, but you can still try giving it to someone with some relevant experience. Like at one point in time, no one had been to space. But NASA didn't go, hey, why don't we just send Jerry? Jerry's my dentist, fantastic guy. No, they sent astronauts who trained for it, who previously flew planes, who studied space, who worked countless hours making black ladies do math for them. (laughs) And look, look, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we know where this is headed. The president will have to find a new VA nominee, and knowing Trump, he's not going to search for a qualified person. He's just gonna pick another guy who says nice things about him. So I guess what I'm saying is, congratulations, VA Secretary Kanye West. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My first guest tonight is the governor of Puerto Rico, which is struggling to rebuild after Hurricane Maria devastated the island seven months ago. Please welcome Governor Ricardo Rosario. Governor, Puerto Rico's story is one that's touched the hearts of many. We've had uh, people like Ricky Martin come on the show and talk about it, Lin-Manuel, talking to people, getting them to understand that there is an issue, there is a crisis. Could you help us understand why it feels like it's taken so long 
for the crisis to be fixed? What, what, what has gone wrong in Puerto Rico? Well, first of all, thank you for keeping Puerto Rico in the hearts and minds of, of all Americans. I think this show has uh, given a step forward so that, you know, once the cameras left the disaster, it, it sort of slows down. Uh, but really, it's been bureaucracy. Uh, bureaucracy has been slowing down the process, even though there's uh, some people doing a lot of good. Uh, we've been able to get some funding for Puerto Rico, but uh, the process is slow. And as you know, we're heading to a hurricane season next right. month, so we really need to hurry up that process again. When you say bureaucracy, do you mean bureaucracy within Puerto Rico or do you mean bureaucracy <laughs> that comes down from the United States? Well, bureaucracy in Puerto Rico, we're, we're taking, uh, we're dealing with it, right? We're eliminating it. We're cutting the red tape. But it's within the, the uh, systems that have been placed in the United States. Uh, uh, for example, uh, some of these processes uh, that take 10 to 14 days in any other state would take uh, 117 days in Puerto Rico. Uh, wow. Reimbursements. This, this is to get funding and, 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 and working? Yes, for, for the uh, reimbursement for the uh, permanent work. Uh, it, it still hasn't even started in Puerto Rico, the reimbursement for the permanent work. So all we're asking, and, and I know you've made a point of this, is uh, to be treated equally as uh, equal U.S. citizens. You know, we're proud U.S. citizens. And what we want... That's right. And uh, there, there is goodwill, but uh, we really need to tackle this, uh, this issue. So uh, any support that we can get... It's important, and that's why we started a, a movement uh, to organize uh, Puerto Ricans. You know, we're 5.6 million strong in the United States. Right. And Puerto Ricans, uh, because we live in a territory, in a colonial territory, uh, we don't have the right to vote for the president or for congressmen or, or senators. Right. So we need to create sort of a proxy effort. And uh, right now we're in Florida. Uh, that's one of the, the critical areas. But we're going to go to different states, making sure that we organize a structure uh, such that you know, if you're a friend to Puerto Rico and if you uh, vote and help the policy that's in the best interest of Puerto Rico and Puerto Ricans, we'll support you. But if you go against the people of Puerto Rico, then uh, we'll vote you out. Now, th that, that brings up two questions for me. Uh, firstly, I know that in Puerto Rico, it's always been a contentious issue whether or not Puerto Rico should become a state yes. of the United States. Um, you have been for statehood. Do you think that's in the best interests of Puerto Rico? I, I certainly do. I think, you know, when you evaluate all of the alternatives, the first one is the current uh, colonial status. We've seen the results. Right. It just hasn't worked. And uh, as an American citizen, you have to wonder, do we really want a second-class citizenship to be part of the American ideal? Do right. we uh, really want to be known for having the most populated colonial territory in the world? Uh, I, I think not. So the other alternatives are either independence and statehood. And I certainly feel that our people are very proud of their U.S. citizenship. More than 95% uh, of the people support uh, our U.S. citizenship. And it's in the best interest. And I think we have a lot, uh, a lot of value to offer. You know, as we go through this disaster, and it's been, and it's been a rough ride, uh, you know, I, I see Puerto Rico as sort of a, a blank canvas to reinvent, to mm -hmm. uh, be innovative. You know, a lot of the things that, that uh, a lot of the ideas in education, in healthcare, uh, in infrastructure that are being thrown around, we can implement those in Puerto Rico. So I, I thought of, sort of want to start making the pivot uh, from the recovery to the rebuilding and to being very innovative and, and inviting all of you to come to Puerto Rico. You know, we're, we're open uh, for business. We're open to receive everybody. Right. The weather's much better than uh, right here uh, <laughs> in New York, that's for sure. So uh, uh, we're, we would be excited to have everybody that has something, some new idea, uh, something to look for to come to Puerto Rico. You, you, you have said that you are now going to be mobilizing Puerto Ricans in the U.S. And 
uh, in the wake of the crisis in Puerto Rico. I know that there was an influx of Puerto Ricans into Florida, for instance. Um, this may be something that now reshapes the midterms and even the presidential election. Uh, you've had some critics, the likes of Marco Rubio, who've said, now's not the time for politics. Now's the time to focus on getting Puerto Rico ready for the next hurricane season. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, well the reason is that we've, we've heard happy talk all our lives, right? And the hurricane was the perfect, perfect example. We had all of these congressmen, congresswomen, and senators come to Puerto Rico, stand in podiums, pledge their support, looking at the cameras and saying, we will help Puerto Rico through and throughout, right. uh, throughout uh, this crisis. And, and they've helped in some ar- arenas, but the first piece of legislation that they had was the tax reform bill. Now, you might have your opinions if it's good in general or bad in general, but for Puerto Rico, it treats us as a foreign country and thereby levies an additional uh, base erosion tax on Puerto Rico, which makes it more expensive to do business in Puerto Rico. So as we're going through the worst natural disaster in the modern history of the United States, uh, we are victims of a policy uh, and we talked about this, uh, that essentially railroads Puerto Rico in this front. So my, my view is very simple and my answer is very simple. These are uh, political processes. Uh, in order for us to have some power and some accountability, we need to let all of the elected officials know that there will be Puerto Ricans and friends of Puerto Ricans in uh, all over the United States. Uh, long-term view is to organize them. Right now is to impact several states. And hopefully, if we get that done, uh, then we can get some uh, real uh, result for Puerto Rico. Right. There, before I let you go, there, there was a report that came out in Politico, which was, which was really frightening. It was about how the U.S. government wants to implement a pilot program with regards to funding. And so you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but if I understand the breakdown, it would basically allow Puerto Rico to skip the red tape. The U.S. government would give Puerto Rico the money that it needs. But with that, if any, overrun, if any overruns were incurred, Puerto Rico would now be responsible. You would have to pay for any extra costs that you didn't anticipate. That seems like they're putting a gun to your head because they're saying you do it this way or you do it no way. Does it feel like you're in a position where you're in power but not really? It's almost taxation without representation? Well, it is taxation without representation. It is uh, being a colonial territory. And I mean, it's not something uh, modern. This, this has been going on for 500 years. And a hundred years in, in the United States. I mean, we, we really need to ask ourselves a question uh, when we're talking about immigration reform and, and so forth, and when we're talking about the value of our citizenship, if uh, do we really want, are we really happy with a nation having 3.5 million of its citizens not having the same rights? And it's, and it's very bizarre too. I mean, it, if I move to the States, I gain all of those rights. If Trevor, you move to Puerto Rico, you lose them. It, it, it really uh, makes no sense. With, with regards uh, to these policies, you know, it could work. It could be a very good program because it gets us out of the red tape now. Right. There needs to be a certain set of, of core principles. We've agreed upon executing those core principles. I ask everybody uh, to give oversight and accountability over, over this process. And if we do get that, then we'll have resources uh, to rebuild. And again, I, I see Puerto Rico as this uh, blank canvas to start rebuilding as a destination for what we're calling the human cloud, where you know many jobs in the future, as you know, are going to be geographic right, independent. Right, right. Come to Puerto Rico. We have a better quality. Uh, we can offer a better quality of life, and we can export those services elsewhere. We can be a connector of, of the Americas uh, and start um, pushing through in areas, important areas to us, like education and healthcare, uh, so that it's a great place to live. So even though it's it's a it's been a rough go at it, and I can't believe it's been seven seven months uh, since the hurricane. I I was just remembering as it was yesterday when. 
I had to go uh, uh, two days after the storm. There was a big flooding incident, and 2,000 people were in the rooftops. And uh, as we were going, I went with the National Guard. We started picking up uh, some of these folks. You know, some people started calling, and, and uh, uh, somebody uh, sent a text message to pick up uh, this girl that I, had never, that I had never seen called Amarilis. So we were just going as it was raining and pouring in this amphibious uh, automobiles, looking for all of these families that were at their, at their rooftops. And finally, believe it or not, amongst those uh, 2,000 families, we, we found her uh, praying with uh, three, three young daughters. Wow. And, uh, and thankfully, uh, we were able to, to impact that. But now it's, it's been a long road ahead. And what I ask is for everybody to keep on uh, you know, giving us their support. Uh, the people of Puerto Rico are very resilient and will demonstrate uh, with hard effort and uh, uh, with accountability that we will rebuild a stronger, better Puerto Rico. Well, thank you for your time. I'll tell you this. We will, um, we will make sure to keep supporting. We'll keep telling you how you can support Puerto Rico. We thank you for your time. And uh, most importantly, Trump will keep throwing paper towels. <laughs> Governor Ricardo Rosario, everybody. We'll be right back. My next guest is an Emmy-nominated actor who stars in the NBC series, Good Girls. Please welcome Christina Hendricks. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So many people are fans of yours from Mad Men. And uh, yeah, yeah. And in many ways, in many ways, your character on Mad Men was regarded as a feminist icon. She was someone who was breaking through in a world that was definitely not designed for her to break through. Some people have said that your new character is a feminist icon as well, a woman fighting for her own thing in the world. Would, would you agree with this? I do. I think women are really responding sort of this empowerment feel that we have on the show and, and these, uh, these three women who have this beautiful friendship and camaraderie that I think people are really, really responding to. Right. It, it's a different type of empowerment, though, because <laughs> it's a story of three women. And if you haven't watched it, it's really funny. It's a story of three women who are great friends and they're struggling, they're in debt, life is not going well, so they decide to become robbers. And they rob a store, which is a different type of empowerment. I mean, I'm all for it, but it's like it's, yeah. it was crazy. Worst decision ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, Didn't and, really think it through. Right. And, and what's really <laughs> fun though is like it's, the core of it is still the friendship in in the story. Is is that something that's become a dynamic in the actual taping of the show? Oh yeah, we're nuts for each other. I mean, we are texting each other all the time, all night long. Marco Polo's <laughs> all all night long. Slumber parties. Right. I'm crazy for them. Let they're me ask you incredible. this: if, if you were to rob a store. What do you think you would be best at in real? Because I always do that with my friends. I go like, you'll never be the getaway driver. You suck. Oh. And I go like, what, I would, would, I I would handle weapons. I would like, you know what? We always trying to figure, do you know what you would be best at? I would not be the getaway driver oh, either. No, I, I would probably be uh, good at uh, lies and distraction. Like, like. I like that it's like lies and distraction. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm Look really over there. good at both of those Look things. over there, a donkey. I lied and distracted you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would be good at like a decoy right. kind of situation. Your character's really good at lying in the yeah. shows. That's like her mini superpower is yeah. that she lies and nobody knows that she's lying. That's one of those 
questions where I go like, is that something you brought from the real world? Or is this a skill that you developed for, for, the, for the role? It would, no, it, it started out, I think, in the pilot, and we decided that it was funny that she could just sort of switch into this, this incredible line, because she's right. like a mom and a wife, and you wouldn't expect it. And so it just started getting written more and more and more into the script, because we were like, this is such a weird, like, why is she so good at this? Right. I'm waiting for the episode where it explains how, why she's so good at lying. Do people, I think it'll be fun. Do people not trust you in real life, though? Because I, I, I won't like There's some characters, <laughs> no, there's some characters I see on TV where I, I cannot forget who they are now, or I cannot forget that they do a certain thing. So do you have anyone who now just doesn't believe you when you say something to them? <laughs> Oh, I wonder, actually. Like, does your, My does your husband... like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, for 10 years, I believed you, and now I'm not so sure. There was no uh, donkey. I'm a very <laughs> trustworthy type. Right. Uh, l- l- <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the stories in the, in the show. I, I've really been impressed by how it is funny, uh, it is heartfelt, it is a story about friends and family, but there are, you know, stories that touch on what's happening in the real world. One of the storylines, for instance, is where your character helped a friend of hers who was being sexually harassed by her boss. And you taped this before, the Me Too movement. You, yeah. you recorded this before, you, you know, the movement really built up steam. Is it one of those stories where you look at it and go like, yeah, it was, it was always happening, I wasn't surprised? Or, or were you genuinely surprised at how the story tied into what happened in the real world? I mean, this was written and filmed far before that. You know, I mean, I was on Mad Men for years and years talking about these topics. Um, right. And, and um, it, people, I think, are responding to it more right now because of what's happening. And I think that's fantastic that it's ca- causing conversation and, and that it's a part of that conversation. Um, but I'll tell you what, when you, when you come around a corner and see someone you love in that situation, whether you're acting or real or, I mean, I went into protective mode so quickly wow. and immediately. It, you really do have a very visceral reaction when you see something like that. And, and I'm very close to May and, and I just, I came around that corner and I was like, don't you dare, buddy. <laughs> I love that. Do you, do, you, do you feel like that's maybe why you choose the roles that you do? Because it feels like all your characters have this strength about them as a woman. Is that something that draws you to the character? Or do you think maybe just women's roles are written better that just end up on your desk? I mean, I don't, I don't choose roles because I think, oh, she's going to be a, a great role model or, or she, the strength. I mean, as an actress, you want to discover all sorts of things. Right. I just think that every woman has strength in her. And I think uh, we have all sorts of things and we have vulnerability. And, and I just, um, I find exploring and trying to find the strength in someone very interesting. It's amazing. You do it well on screen. Thank I, you. I don't know if you lied to me through this whole interview, but I'll take it. <laughs> Either way. I am not even Christina Hendricks. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> the season finale of Good Girls airs Monday, April 30th at 10 p.m. on NBC. Christina Hendricks, everybody. Thank you so much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.